Thank you, Tova. We uh, we experienced that psalm twice today as we sang it earlier as well when we sang I Will Not Be Shaken, but it's good for us to be reminded that the Lord is where we look for our help. And that's one of the things that we're going to be discussing today as we continue this series on, on wisdom. And, and as you know, we've gone through looking through... Uh, Today we're, we're going to ask the question, what is, who is wisdom for? I know I, I alluded to that last week, but I'm going to answer it today. And, and we've talked about what is wisdom for, that wisdom is to demonstrate the glory of God, that when we live lives as we ought to live them in justice and peace and, and, and doing what God has called us to do, then, then, then we demonstrate that God is good and faithful and and has uh, and remains with us. Okay, so and then the the second part is what does wisdom do? When wisdom guides our behaviors, which is what we're primarily talking about when we talk about wisdom, it it guides the things we do to doing what is right and just and fair for us and the people around us. Okay, that's an important aspect. That so so wisdom isn't necessarily doing what's going to get us the furthest or what's going to make us the most successful or get us ahead. It's about doing what is right and just and fair. And now we're going to ask uh, the question, who is wisdom for? Who should be looking for wisdom? Because one of the things that we do in our culture is we're just like, well, sometimes we're going to leave expertise to other people. Okay, so we're going to have consultants that will come in and talk to us. We're going to have experts on the TV and talking heads and all of these other people will know how and when and and how we should do things. And we're not going to we don't have to know those things. We're just going to be able to find those on television. And that's kind of a dangerous place to be. One, because it doesn't train us to be able to handle the questions and issues that come uh, to us on a daily basis. But it also the other problem is that often experts have no idea what they're talking about. And just because someone happens to have occupied a place in the television that makes them a talking head and they have like a, a little chyron under their name that says like parenting expert doesn't mean that they know anything about parenting. Just because somebody has like economics expert underneath their name, or like underneath a picture of them on a screen doesn't mean that they know anything. You know, that, it's a very dangerous place for us to be. So we're going to ask the question, who is wisdom for and and the obvious answer to that question is every one it's the second week in a row i told that joke it got the exact same response last week uh but i did it anyway um because i like it and sometimes i do stuff for me so i'm sorry about that but i did um But when we have, there is a famous story about asking for wisdom that I think can help us sharpen our perspective on who wisdom is for and when we ought to ask for it. I think that's important. And that's the story of of, of Solomon asking for wisdom. And, And most of us have heard this story before, that the Lord comes to Solomon in the night and says, ask me for anything and I'll give it to you. And Solomon says, give me wisdom. And God says, Ah, you didn't ask for riches and wealth, so I'm going to give you those things too. That's the basics of the story. But the context of the story helps us flesh out a little bit more what was going on and how deep that asking for wisdom is and how much that can affect what we ought to do as well. So we start off here, that the, the night that God appears to Solomon and says to him, ask me for whatever you want, uh, sorry, ask for whatever you want me to give you. And we need to go back a little bit because this is at the culmination of a day where Solomon has been coronated as king. 
So there's been this major celebration, and there's been sacrifices and, th- and a giant party of people all over Israel gathering uh, to, to, to acclaim Solomon as king. There's no temple at the time, so they gather at a place, they make sacrifices, Solomon gives a speech, and it's a giant party. And, and, and everyone agrees that Solomon is going to be the king. People have been telling him how awesome he is. People have been making great wishes for him all day. There's been lots of food. There's been lots of drink. There's been lots of people. And at this point in time, Solomon is finally... At the end of all of the partying, after everybody is gone, just by himself, and at this quiet moment, God reaches into him and says, okay, now ask me for whatever you want. And that's not an easy question to answer at the best of times. I mean, we can all imagine that there's a whole bunch of things that come to mind when we're asked, ask me for whatever you want me to give you. But but it would I think it would be difficult if I was asked that question when I actually tried to make a list of like what I would what I would ask for to narrow that down to something manageable. I don't know what health I guess, but also like I want my children to do well and I want and I want I want things to be easy and I would like there's things that I would like, but are those things worthwhile asking for? This is an intimidating question to ask, and not only. For Solomon, but after Solomon has already had all the acclaim that he can take in a full day, he's had all, he's just been coronated king, he's been given everything that he's ever asked for, and now God says, now what do you want? And it's an interesting question to ask. And, 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 I, and, what's, and even more so, it's helpful for us to, to go back, sorry, it's helpful for us to go back and understand a little bit more about what the situation that brought Solomon in to be king. Because it wasn't automatic that Solomon would become king of Israel. David had many sons. Now, these were the sons of David. This is from First Chronicles 3. And this is the list of the sons that David had. Now, automatically, normally, the oldest son would get the, the kingship. But that's not what happened here. Okay, So these are the sons of David who were born to him in Hebron. The firstborn was Abnon by Ahinoam the Jezreelitess. The second was Daniel by Abigail the Carmelitess. The third was Absalom, son of Maka, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. The fourth was Adonijah, the son of Haggith. The fifth was Shephatiah Shef- by Abital. The, the sixth was Ithream by his wife Eglah. Six were born to him in Hebron, and there he reigned seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years. These were born to him in Jerusalem. Shemaiah, Shobab, Nathan, and Solomon, four by Bathsheba, the daughter of Amiel, and Ibhar, Elishema, Elphalet, Noga, Nepheg, and Japhia, Elishema, Elida, and Eliphalet, nine. These were the sons of David, besides the sons of concubines, and Tamar was their sister. Okay? So the most obvious person... David got around. Um, the most obvious person to be the king following David would have been Amnon. But Amnon, unfortunately, uh, assaulted Tamar, his sister, was killed by, uh, by Absalom, his brother, takes him out of the picture. Absalom uh, tried to take over and had a rebellion. He ended up dying by being hung up in an oak tree and stabbed to death. Uh, takes him out of the picture. Um, it's interesting. The second son, Daniel, we never hear anything about him. Now, this is the only time he's ever mentioned. Never mentioned again. It seems like he just kept his head down. Some, some people, it's interesting. There's a lot of speculation that he died 
uh, he died like as a teenager or something like that, and that's why he's never spoken of. The other interesting thing is there's a lot of Jewish scholars who believe that he was one of four perfect people who lived completely perfect lives, and one of the reasons why he was perfect, they believe that he was perfect, is because he was never mentioned at all. Just shows you uh, how biblical literature sometimes works. It's like, ah, he wasn't mentioned, he must have been perfect. Nothing interesting to say about him. Um, so Daniel's... Uh, Daniel, we don't know anything about him. He just keeps his head down. And, 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 and so, but there's still other people in here that should have been, uh, that should have been, uh, that, that would have been uh, justified in claims to the throne. He wasn't the oldest, and his mother was Bathsheba, you know, who we all know has a complicated story about how Bathsheba came to be David's wife. Now, uh, she was married to Bathsheba after David murdered her. Uh, sorry, David was married to Bathsheba by the time Solomon was born after David murdered her husband. So it was sort of official, but uh, it, it, it complicated parentage for Solomon. And really the only claim that Solomon had to the throne was that David had made a promise to Bathsheba, his mother, that her oldest son would be the king. That was his only claim to the throne was that David wanted him. And, and so that's the history. And now immediately before Solomon is named king, David's on his last legs. He's an old, old, old man. His health is starting to go. He can't really get out of bed. Uh, one of his issues is that he couldn't uh, stay warm. He was uh, constantly cold. And in the midst of this, Adonijah, uh, son number four, uh, whose mother was Haggith, put himself forward and said, I will be king. So he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. His father had never rebuked him by asking, why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome handsome, and was born next after Absalom. This is an interesting commentary on David's parenting. David, uh, universally in the Bible, is recognized as not being a very good dad, which is unfortunate for a man after God's own heart. Uh, that he wasn't a very good dad. But it's interesting that that this is demonstrating a character flaw in Ad- Adonijah that his father had never said to him, like, what are you doing? Um, so if you're a parent who spends a lot of time looking at your children going, like, why, why, why are you doing that? Why? Why are you? You're okay. That's a good thing to do. So Adonijah conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah and Abathar the priest, and they gave him their support. But Zadok the priest, Benaiah son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shimei and Ray, and David's special guard did not join Adonijah. This is important. So now we have a lot of political intrigue that, that Adonijah, without David's blessing, is like, I'm going to take the throne. And there's these other people that are like, you're the oldest after Daniel, who is either dead or perfect, so we're not going to bother him. And... Uh, so, uh, so there's this weird political machinations that are happening, but these other people who are very powerful within the kingdom of Israel say, no, uh, we're going to go in another direction, and this happens. So not at, uh, uh, So they, they kind of get together, and they're like, we don't like this idea. Um, uh, they get together, and they have this sort of weird West Wing scene where before Adonijah takes all those people, and the first thing he does is he says, I'm going to be king, and then he goes and has a party. But while they're having the party, Nathan the prophet seems to engineer this weird West Wing uh, superlative move where they're just like, they go to David, and they're like, Sol- uh, Adonijah has declared himself king. And then David's like, nope, Solomon's going to be king. And then they just like race in and, and declare Solomon king officially and have him like a 
anointed and do all of the official stuff while Adonijah is still having a party. It's a very weird scene. So there's this, uh, after all of that happens, this guy Jonathan shows up at the party, not Jonathan who was friends with David, uh, another Jonathan. He shows up and they say, oh, you must have good news. And he says, not at all, Jonathan answered. Our Lord King David has made Solomon king. The king has sent him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah son of Jehoiada, the Kephites and the Pelethites. They have put him on the king's mule, and Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king at Gihon. Uh, and there they have gone up cheering, and the city resounds with it, and that's the noise you hear. Moreover, Solomon has taken a seat on the royal throne. Also, the royal officials have come to congratulate our Lord King David, saying, May your God make Solomon's name more famous than yours and his throne greater than yours. And the king bowed and worshipped on, on his bed and said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has allowed my eyes to see a successor to my throne today. Which is just this weird scene that they got a lot done while Adonijah was just kind of like still having a party about how he was going to be king eventually. But Adonijah at that time uh, freaks out and all of his friends leave him and, and his biggest fear is that Solomon is going to kill him now. So what he does is he runs into the, the, the tabernacle, they didn't have the temple then, and he grabs a hold of the horns of the, law, the altar saying like, if I do this, then Solomon won't kill me here. Okay, uh, And Solomon doesn't and, and basically shows kindness to him. Okay, so after all of this, because also dangerously, Adonijah just had like a couple hundred people thinking that he was going to be king. If he goes and just kills Adonijah, then all of those people are mad. Now he's trying to keep a kingdom together in the midst of in the midst of a time when kingdoms often break apart and everybody starts murdering everybody. And it's in the context of that. Of all of those weird conspiracies happening all around him, all of the people that want him dead, all of the people that want his job, a brother who is afraid that Solomon's going to kill him, all of these people who now are looking to him saying, like, okay, you're in charge now. We're expecting things from you. You're the Lord's anointed. It's time for you to start leading. It's in the midst of that, in that quiet moment where God finally shows up to him and says, okay, now ask for whatever you want me to give you. And there would have been normal things that, given the context, would have been perfectly acceptable for him to ask. Even if he didn't ask for wealth, and even if he didn't ask for power, even if he just had have said, like, could you make everyone who wants to kill me drop dead? That would be a really handy thing to do. That would have been understandable, given the context. Even if he wanted peace in his time, if you could, if you could allow me to survive my reign without any sort of war, that would have been a reasonable thing to ask but this is what he says Solomon answered God you have shown great kindness to David my father and have made me king in his place now Lord God let your promise to my father David be confirmed for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead these people for who is able to govern this great people of yours this is really interesting because in this moment of quiet after he's been acclaimed after he's been coronated after all has gone on in this moment of quiet he realizes this job is way too big for me these people are so many i don't i can't handle them they are as numerous as the dust so many people want to kill me so many people want this job i don't know if i can handle what's going on and Solomon also understands 
having watched his father David do this job as long as he did, that this is a very dangerous job. You can make a very good argument that becoming king was the worst thing ever to happen to David. And it was after he became king that David had his worst failures as a father, as a king, as a follower of the Lord. The worst decisions that that David ever made were when he was king. So Solomon understands that he's about to enter into a job that not only is that that is dangerous not only for him but it's dangerous for others it's dangerous morally and physically and this job that he has been called to uh destroys people and the stakes are way too high for him to do this on his own so he says give me wisdom and knowledge give me in Hebrew hokma umada I'm going to get to that another time but just so you, I want you to have those uh, words in your head because we're going to be looking at them another time. But he, give me hokma umada, wisdom and knowledge. Because in this moment, Solomon understands that it's not enough to be strong, it's not enough to be powerful, and it's not enough to be rich. He needs wisdom. And this is important because we understand now through this story When we ask the question, who wisdom is for, wisdom is for the overwhelmed. Wisdom is for people who feel inadequate to the tasks that they've been called to. Wisdom is for people who realize that they are smaller than the jobs that they've been called to and they desperately need help, otherwise everything is going to be destroyed. Wisdom is for everyone who is called to something greater than they can accomplish on their own. And this is what, uh, what happens when Solomon realizes how small he is and how in need he is, and he asks this of the Lord. This is how the Lord responds. God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire and you have not asked for wealth, possessions, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, And since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given to you. And I will also give you wealth, possessions, and honor, such as no king who was before you has ever had and none after you will have. God basically says to him, since you know what actually has value, because Solomon understands at this, point, at this point that even if he had wealth and possessions, if he's constantly at war, it doesn't matter. If he doesn't understand how to deal with the conflicts amongst his own people, it's not going to matter to him. Now that he understands that the most important thing is that he does this job to the best of his ability and that he do it well and that the only way he can do it is with God's help. And if he doesn't have God's help, he's going to destroy himself and a lot of other people. Now that, we, now that he really understands that what he really needs is not stuff or stability or status, but wisdom to do what he's been called to do, now he understands what really has value. And because he understands what really has value, God can bless him with other things that will, as nice as they are, fade away. It's true for us as well. And then what's interesting, too, is the response to this. After God gives him wisdom to do the job that he's been called to do, Solomon went from Jerusalem to the high place at Gibeon uh, from before the tent of meeting, and he reigned over Israel. He did the job that he was called to do. 
He actually went out and did what God asked him to do. He did his work. So we ask the question again, who is wisdom for? Wisdom is for the overwhelmed. Wisdom for, is for everyone who has been called to a task that is unmanageable alone. You might be asking yourself, well, who has been called to a task that is unmanageable alone? And that is all of you. We already uh, we talked a little bit about Jake and Renee, and they, they had their baby last night, and that's an incredibly joyous uh, situation. And, and, and we all recognize that. But I, I also, uh, and it, but as joyous as that is, I remember uh, when, Teddy, uh, 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 when Teddy was about to have Zoe and I was just feeling like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not cut out for this. <laughs> when, when I was a single man, I could uh, destroy, make terrible decisions that would destroy my life and it would really only affect me. It would be uncomfortable for Teddy uh, now that I had gotten married, which was unfortunate. But like, if I wanted to make bad decisions about just eating a bunch of garbage and watching Law & Order for 18 hours straight because they're not going to watch themselves, um, that really only affected me. But once you have children, you realize, that, like, wait a minute, I'm making decisions that can have an impact on people for centuries. Because I'm bearing the impact of decisions that were made by my great-grandfather. Now I can in turn do this as well. So even the simple task of raising children becomes unmanageable by itself. I'm not equipped for this. And, uh, and I remember talking to a friend of mine about this, Cal McFarlane, when I was at Briarcrest. And he said, you realize that dumber men than you have become fathers. Um, which I didn't quite believe. But uh, it ended up being true. But what I needed at that moment, being overwhelmed by the sheer task of having another human being's life that I am responsible for, was to realize that I had been called to an unmanageable task. When I came to this church, lots of people said to me, that's a terrible idea. You should not do that. Um, this is a, 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 and, and not, please don't be insulted by this. I love you guys. But people were like, this is an old church uh, they will chew you up and eat you out within a year. Um, uh, so far, I've survived four and a half, so uh, we're doing okay. But the task that I've been... <laughs> somebody's happy. <laughs> um, but the task that I've been called to is unmanageable on my own. And I'm not saying that every decision that I've been made has been gifted with divine wisdom. That's not true at all, and you all know that better than I do. But the reality is any kind of task that we've been called to and that is worth doing is unmanageable alone. And we all need to ask for the wisdom of God to, to go through what we've been called to. Uh, James describes it this way when, when he begins to discuss in James chapter 1. And this is a passage that you're all familiar with, but it's fascinating for us to look at in this context. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. We need wisdom to go through the trials that we are going to face in order to mature us. That's the reality of it. And if we're going to be the people that God has called us to be, if we're going to go through whatever it is that you've been called to endure today, 
We need wisdom. And we need wisdom when we're being pushed and stretched and moved by God to be what God has called us to be. And that is going to be, by its nature, uncomfortable. Solomon, when he asked for wisdom, was uncomfortable. As much as he had just been made king, he was uncomfortable because these people are as numerous as the dust. The problems that I'm facing are as numerous as the dust. I can't handle that. But the challenge for us is to rely on the wisdom of God to do what is right and just and fair, even when it's hard. And this wisdom that we've been given to do what is right and just and fair, even when it's hard, demonstrates the goodness of God and His faithfulness to the world. So this becomes the challenge for us. When we ask the question, what is wisdom for? It's for everyone who is overwhelmed by the life that they've been called to. But the reality is when we've been called to this life by, uh, by, uh, that we're overwhelmed by, we've been called to that for our own good. And we've been called to it equipped by the wisdom of God to carry us through that. And as we engage in that life together, we demonstrate God's glory and His goodness and His faithfulness to the world. Let's pray together. God. We need your wisdom, Lord. And where we have gotten arrogant and acted as if we did not, we repent of that. And we ask your forgiveness and we ask that you would remind us again how much we need you. And we also ask that as, as we go forward, that, that, that you would give us that wisdom that we need. That as we face issues as parents, as grandparents, as, as great-grandparents, as workers, as everything that we do, that we would rely on You for Your guidance and Your goodness. That we would not feel intimidated by the lives that You've called us to, but we would recognize that with You, we can accomplish anything. And that You are abundantly providing wisdom as we ask for it. So we ask that You would be with us this morning. Give us Your grace, give us Your peace, and give us Your wisdom. We ask this in Your name.